Darmstadt on Air number 21. There's always a pilot to each piece. Ensemble Pampelmus in conversation with Peter Meanwell. Welcome to Darmstadt on Air, the podcast of the Darmstadt Summer Course. I'm Sylvia Freidang from the Summer Course team and I'm happy to say a few words before we hear the interview. One of the central themes of this year's Darmstadt Festival is artistic collaboration and collective creativity. We are interested in how collaborative processes work, especially in the field of musical creation, where we still have a strong concept of authorship, division of labor between composers and performers. But on the other hand, collaboration is fundamental for big parts of music making. In this context, we've invited Ensemble Pampelmus to create a concert project for Darmstadt with new compositions. Based in the US, the ensemble consists of five different composer-performer personalities. Over the last two years, we've discussed several possible formats with the ensemble and had to realize in the end that due to the pandemic, the group would not be able to come to Darmstadt personally. So they've created a filmed version of their Project Shadows that will be shown on August 4, 2021 as a stream. For this Darmstadt on Air podcast, the music journalist and curator Peter Meanwell interviewed Ensemble Pampermus in June 2021 when they were together in Philadelphia preparing their Darmstadt project. Ensemble Pampermus is Natasha Diels, Brian Jacobs, Andrew Greenwald, David Broom and Weston Olenke. Enjoy listening. So I want to welcome Ensemble Pampermus, uh, Natasha Diels, Brian Jacobs, Andrew Greenwald, David Broom and Weston Alenki and Caden, the youngest honorary member of the group. Hey, Caden. Hey. <laughs> Hi, nice wave. Hi, everyone. Welcome. You Where forgot Oscar. <laughs> Don't forget oh, Oscar. Oh, and Oscar the cat. Yeah, who just walked <laughs> across the screen. Whereabouts are you now? We're in Philadelphia. In Philly. Is that the spiritual home of the group or are you, you're still flung across the States? Much closer now, um, but still flung. Still flung. Well, I, I'm, I feel very lucky to have seen uh, Pamplemousse live many times, uh, both in your native America and uh, here in Bergen, Norway, where we hosted, um, hosted you on more than one occasion. Uh, so it's always really exciting to speak to you en masse, and it's been a long time since we've been in the same physical space, so it's nice to see you all. Um, by your own definition, and there, actually there's quite a lot of definitions of you on your on your own website but <laughs> pamplemousse is both juicy and sweet and tender and tart uh, like the eponymous grapefruit of your name but also aggregating sonic possibilities into shapes of resonance clusters of glitch skitters of hyperaction and masses of absurdity um so i just wanted to spend this time we've got together uh, a little bit to talk today about this aggregation of sonic possibilities and how the mechanics of collaboration work in your ensemble but i wanted to start maybe just by asking you all um what makes pamplemus special to be in as a group well from my perspective having not been in a lot of other groups that are working like this um so the specialness i'll i'll i'm just kind of assuming and and taking the no. appreciating Pomplamoose for what it is. So that's kind of maybe how I'll talk about it. Just lay it out. It's what I think it is. Um, and 
I feel like it's a group that leaves a lot of room for all of us to try new things all the time. And that's always really encouraged. We're not expected to come with a, a type of music making that we've done in the past. And it has a lot of flexibility in terms of scoring, in terms of how rehearsals look, in terms of what we've done beforehand and what we come up with on the fly when we all get together. Um, we all take different approaches every time. Sometimes we might have a, a more what looks like a more traditionally composed score and we show up and we work through it um, as musicians do when they're working with the score. And sometimes we come with uh, a few ideas and it might be based on individual personalities here since we've worked together for so long. And uh, me may think, okay, I have an idea for what I want, what I want a keyboard or uh, situation to be like, but it's Dave playing it. And I know the things Dave likes to do. And I know what he does better than I would do by myself at home. So leaving room for those sorts of places. So it's totally, for me, it's a unique space for that sort of collaboration and kind of the pacing of the creative process when, you know, in relation to what traditional composition is. Anybody else have something to add? Yeah, I was going to, um, so we're working with a few, um, I think what Brian said was very apt, um, but we're also working on this particular project with three people from Talk Ensemble, Laura Cox, Marina Kifferstein, and Charlotte Mundy, and they were saying that they really appreciated, you know, the ability to be um, as, you know, to provide, like, creative input on the compositions rather than their typical way of working in a chamber ensemble where there is a fixed idea of what the piece should sound like and how do we how do we as best as possible achieve that perfect idea um and i don't think we ever really have worked that way it's more like figuring out what it is that we're trying to achieve and making it better as a group together and fleshing out those ideas as a group because you're all composers and performers is that right is that how the the group dynamic works yeah. yeah, yeah, that's probably something we should have mentioned. The very basic thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I think that that's that's a, a big uh, part of the the context for this group is yeah, working with like you have the composer there and you're playing with the composer, and then you can like complain about the piece because you're friends with the person too. So you, you, there's a certain like intimacy that you can have. Uh, and, and with the feedback, uh, situation. Um, and so, you know, when you're griping about something or when you really enjoy something, uh, I feel like all, all the members kind of takes, take those, uh, the, that feedback and work with it. So do pieces, do pieces come to the group fully formed or do they, do they emerge throughout a kind of collective compositional process? How do, what's that dynamic? It's different with each with each piece, uh, I would say Andrew usually has a completed score, and then we may uh, edit that that completed score. Um, uh, a lot of a lot of times, Brian will have instruments that he's made, but then have no score at all, and it's like he watches us play with the instruments, and then finds you know finds a few things that he likes and then organizes it over a few rehearsals a score that we kind of that that he creates based on how he sees us interacting with the instruments and there's also like the individual scores and how they come together in rehearsal but like when we end up thinking about projects like putting on a concert the scores kind of become a smaller part of thinking about the larger 
like evening length experience and they kind of become one like meta score. So, you know, there's the point of like putting the pieces together and then once those are done, we then have to think through like, okay, well, how do we create like one long evening of musical adventure, which actually like kind of takes each of the individual performers and composers to have to kind of step back from thinking about their own pieces and think about how the pieces themselves kind of all connect to create a a sort of consistent experience. Um, And I think that like in a weird way, um, like in a weird way that ends up then circling back and influencing the way, at least for me, the way I compose for Pomplamoose specifically, like I don't worry about how my piece is going to be successful or not successful. I think about how my piece is going to contribute to connecting to any of the like multiple pieces or um, kind of like connective points that we might come up with together by playing other music from other people like James Brown or something like that to connect a piece um, and so it, it's just a different way of envisioning the artistic process that's a lot more like collectively communicative, a lot less about me as a composer and a lot more about me as like a member of this micro community and thinking about that, not about my piece. Yeah. And I just want to add to that. I, I do feel very differently about the way that I write for Pompamos versus other groups now. Um, I, um, like it's it was such a it's always such a like amazing space that we end up in where we can all contribute like to the kind of generative thoughts of these pieces and so I lately have been coming with kind of more chunked up material or like in this case (laughs) this current piece like pretty vague material um with the idea that people will like kind of help me with the material and also like I'm really interested in having it be a thing that we kind of build together which is not something I would do for another ensemble I would come with a very fixed and completed score um which just isn't I don't think it's taking full advantage of the of Pomplomos for me um so that's why it's just different for me when I write for Pomplomos when you when you look at a Pomplomos uh concert program though there's still pieces by composers so there's no kind of loss of agency Depends on the presenting. And usually the pieces are played straight through and there's no indication. It's not always clear where one stops and another one starts. And uh, it's not, we, it's, it's normal for after concerts to, for audience members to ask us which piece we were, we composed. And there's definitely no, uh, I don't think we've ever done like the standing up and acknowledging which of us is that name on the program. I don't think we've ever done that. So there is part of it. I think we've always been interested in kind of smearing it all together as a way of acknowledging that we've all contributed so much to, to the, all these compositions and the whole, the whole project of Pomplamix. I've never thought about that before. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of like the masses of absurdity. I mean, I think one of the first times I met Pomplamix was in a bar cocktail bar in in Brooklyn somewhere. And, um, as well as being impressed by the heavy drinking, it was it was also this kind of <laughs> and the hot dogs I seem to remember, but it was this kind of holistic vision of of the concert experience that the that somehow the music creation, the programming, the staging was all composed collectively. Um, and I guess that's what you're speaking to is this this kind of whilst you all bring a 
an individual personality to the table, it gets absorbed within the kind of meta structure of the group that then kind of outputs a concert or delivers some kind of yeah this this composed experience for the audience um if you had to kind of locate the aesthetic starting points so of the individuals in the group where would how would you do that because you see you see glitch aesthetics you see kind of more composed work you see animation you see some kind of jazz tinges and in, like individually yeah yeah i mean it's it, for me being kind of the newest member too and like doing some of my earliest pieces for this i've kind of gotten the chance to like explore a bunch of different things that i also would never kind of get to do otherwise but lately or at least maybe with the stuff for darmstadt it's more rooted in a kind of like um field recording sound art type vibe with um i work a lot in other in other music with like noise and drone and obviously that um filters in there as well but in this one in particular it's trying something totally new that i've that i've never done before so hmm. west is worth saying that you're you're also a kind of trombonist yeah by trade right so that's there's a kind of instrumental uh starting point there as well as the electronics you work on yeah. andrew you're a drummer yeah i'm a i'm a jazz drummer by well i don't play that much anymore but yeah i was a jazz drummer for a long time yeah and still a a major jazz like uh fan kind of like bedroom jazz drummer watcher an occasional like tinkerer in my room up in vermont (laughs) but (laughs) i don't really play very much anymore outside of pomplamoose only occasionally but that's really central to my like musical yeah Jazz vocabulary is pretty central to my musical being, but I don't know if it's always clear. I think it's become more clear recently in my kind of more composed music that I write. Um, I think something that we all kind of recently realized, which I don't know if this answers directly your question, but is that um, we all have kind of like, like we're we all like to change a lot um aesthetically like we you know i think that there's some composers that that like to stay with one kind of idea or way of making music and we've we all realized a couple years ago that we like to change frequently like we like to try other ways of making music and kind of constantly just exploring different aesthetics which i think is one thing that we all um yeah, we all share and encourage in each other. So it's like an a- actively pursuing this kind of ambiguity of yeah, a single identity. Or even just like really getting, and kind of what Brian was saying about like all the things getting smeared together, there's a kind of contra- like paradox that happens in there where it like by kind of subsuming identities into like a bigger thing and not worrying about like this is my piece versus that's your piece. Like you almost get to like explore some more like, individual and personal things that maybe you wouldn't get to otherwise because um, the people that you're working with are like, they know who you are as a person and you can be like, yeah, I'm just like really into like, I don't know, like recorders right now. And like, we're just going to like do a bunch of stuff with recorders and like, you don't have to be like, this is why (laughs) you can, but you can kind of have that for yourself or you can take something. It's like, I'm super interested in this, but I don't quite know how to like work with it yet. And you can bring it to like a pompomous experience and like be able to do that kind of under the auspices of like everyone's there too because they know you as a person you know them as people first and then the kind of like interests and musical stuff comes out of that 
Um, so the, yeah, the naturally changing and getting to like, just try shit out is like, I don't know, a thing that I really value. So it's like a circle of trust therapy group. <laughs> so. it, doesn't, it doesn't look that way. Trust me in rehearsal. It does not look that way. What? Yes, it does. But just, just to complete the lineup. I mean, it's funny because we're talking to you as a group of composers, right? But at the same time, you're also a band, essentially. Um, Dave is keys. <laughs> Natasha, you're a flautist. Um, Brian, you're an uh, instrument builder and, uh, and electronic a, stuff, the technical electronic stuff, stuff exactly. So then, so then you kind of have this instrumental basis, but I also see that the personalities that uh, are very strong in the ensemble—not just musical personalities, but kind of humor or kind of ways of working—and um, if, if anyone's seen any of your um, seen this, this is the uplifting part, your kind of video album from a few years ago, you know, there's a very clear visual and, uh, and kind of personality, uh, kind of driven idea behind that. And I just wonder how does that, how does, what role does chemistry play in Pumplemousse, like between your personalities? How does that, how does that affect, drive, impede the creative process? Well, I definitely think that we're trying to make some, some art that, that, uh, that kind of like tickles the others. Like it's, it's, uh, you know, we're trying to make something that's like, like little winks across the room, that kind of thing. Uh, where it's like, we've got this little, uh, this little dialogue going on with, and maybe I have it with Andrew for this one moment or with this video element, you know, like, like I'm, I'm always trying to kind of perform for you guys in a way when I, bring up a, a piece, you know, I create it and then bring it and then try to, uh, get you to play tennis with me in a, in a way or something like that. Totally. Yeah. So there's not the kind of the eye rolling of the musicians towards the composer. Well, I mean, there is, I mean, there is, <laughs> <laughs> it's just very vocal. Yeah, and it's then it's we, not passive aggressive at all. And we say <laughs> it and then we often like try to do things to fix it, whatever the the other person isn't appreciating about it. I, th I think we're all responsive to that. Okay. You know, occasionally we'll be like, well, live with it. <laughs> this is the part of the piece you're going to hate. And that's going to be the piece or, but often I think we usually do something to yeah. figure out a better solution. And I think also like part of what Dave said, you know, like within all this, like trust Kumbaya stuff, it's like, we all really want to make stuff that the other people in the group think is cool. <laughs> so it's like, you know, that, that is also a part of it for sure. Um, to kind of writing specifically for the people that are in the group, both, you know, for the thing that you're trying to achieve in the piece, but also because they all have like very specific, awesome things that we want to highlight. Um, does that ever go wrong in a sense? Like, I mean, it sounds like this is on the whole, a positive process of kind of refining or, uh, kind of uplifting the music or, or the creation, but is there ever a risk that it kind of flattens out wild tendencies or, you know, somehow the group then becomes a, a moderating influence rather than a freeing influence? I can't, I, I really think it always makes it wackier, which I think is positive for a lot of our music. <laughs> I think it's mostly what we're trying to do, help to, each other to find new angles that are, uh, I think more, a kind of a kind of music making that is um yeah stretching a bit You're like we've done that thing before we've done that thing before and most of us will be like yeah we've done that thing here's a, what about this thing 
How about doing that thing this way? I, I feel like that's most of the suggestions. I can't imagine, imagine a suggestion that has flattened anything, really. Well, I was thinking, I mean, I, I was thinking about this somewhat recently after, after something I had read of like, in, in like, orga- like when theorizing ways for organizations to keep growing, like not necessarily like capitalistic growing, but the idea of growth, you know, the, 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 the sort of wisdom that seems to be most prevalent is that at the point at which the organization becomes distinctly about the personalities within, the only way for it to keep quote unquote growing is to either take some of the personalities out. So in other words, change leadership and change out personnel. And I was thinking about like, you know, does that, when I was getting ready to go to do these pomplamoose rehearsals, like, does that mean that actually we're kind of this stagnant, boring thing? Because our organization is like by default and, and fundamentally about the personalities within. Right. And so there is this danger of like a hermeticism when you're, like making music where literally you're, you're like trying not to impress each other, but to get each other to smile while doing the thing. And then precisely at that moment where I thought about the idea of getting each other to smile, doing the thing, it actually, because it's about that smile, I think it allows for, you know, a type of presentation to an audience that isn't going to be like kind of hermetic. In other words, like people will not understand necessarily the things that we're kind of getting off on in performing this music because of how well we understand each other, but hopefully they'll see that we're having a really, really good time. Right. And like, because we're having a really good time and we're doing it precisely because we keep having a really good time. It kind of, to me, gives an okay to a situation where it is distinctly about ourselves enjoying what we do within our micro community. And this can be totally like hallucinate, like a hallucination, for me. Um, but I do genuinely think that it kind of like usurps a lot of the worry that I have because somehow, you know, it does make sense that an organization needs to change to grow. But in this case is growth, like is growth about changing or getting better or is growth about actually like really like doubling down on like who we are as a, as kind of a micro community and just showing that to the world and enjoying it is that enough? Like, is it enough to just be joyful? I mean, joy, joy is an overriding principle. Isn't something you read about in many new music ensembles or groups. <laughs> I, um, I would agree with you. I would, I, in my experience. Yeah. I mean, certainly there are, um, I mean, if you read the history of kind of collaborative ensembles, you think about the scratch orchestra or AACM music, electronica, Viva, like they all have rules, right? Even AMM, I think um, Keith Rowe, I read somewhere that he was saying that they had this rule that they would never talk about performance after it happened, because partly because it would entrench ideas of what was successful and what was good, and this kind of idea to always, you know, push and and subvert and and like all of these groups have different rules. And I, I wonder, are there any rules within Pamplemousse to keep this apart from the joy? I feel like it's the I, I feel like genuinely it's like the fifty like. It's the fifty-pound weight limit on a on a flight suitcase. <laughs> <laughs> like like if there's anything that's that's uh, internally or externally imposed that dictates more decisions than not, it's the how much crap can you bring on an airplane with you? Um, because that it's that get test that's that gets tested all the time. 
or at least it did in like a, a pre-COVID situation. <laughs> and now it was at least how much stuff can you fit in your car? <laughs> Physical limitations. But um, Caden climbing onto the doll's house behind the sofa for the listener. Um, <laughs> I, I guess like I feel like there's a lot of kind of unspoken rules within the rehearsal process that we probably just, you know, I'm not sure that we could really articulate, but we do like kind of on a more practical or like shallower level, we do often come up with rules for our concerts or like ways of trying to um, slim down our tech setup or something. And maybe the rule that always comes out of that is that we never follow those rules that we set up, (laughs) which isn't really, that sounds very cheesy, but it's not really like that. It's just like we end up coming up with these other ideas and and following those ideas regardless of the like initial thing that we set up. And that kind of comes back to your other question about um, whether uh, working in a collaborative place can dilute things. And I think the reason that it doesn't do that is because of what you said before, like we're all very strong personalities. And, you know, if if people say stuff that whoever is like piloting the piece doesn't agree with, you know, that's taken into consideration, but it's not, I don't know, it's like, there's still always a, a, a pilot to each piece. Um, and I think that's kind of how we continue to make stuff that we feel happy about, generally speaking. I, li- I like this phrase, to pilot a piece rather than to compose. I mean, it kind of somehow decenters the the leadership or the, and yeah, I th- or and the I cre- think creative ownership. Yeah, and something too with that that I've definitely noticed from like either working with other groups or like doing contract stuff elsewhere is that something that happens in that kind of rehearsal process that I very rarely see elsewhere is like just a kind of honesty about like why you made something or like, Oh, like I think this section really works or like you can be the one that's piloting it and you can be like, I don't think this works like at all. Like, what do y'all think? Like this kind of, I don't know, just honesty about like, this is important this other thing is just totally not important. Like let's scratch it. Like, and a, and a w- willingness to like, yeah, like actually change stuff, um, depending on what people want. And I, th- and I find that to always be really refreshing because there's no like hubris. So there's no kind of like, I don't know, complex about like, Oh, like, like this has to be this way for like some reason. It's like, no, if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. I don't know. But Weston is a kind of the newest member to the group. I mean, the group's been going since 2000 and, before Three. 2004, right? 2003 was when the group started, but um, right. it was a very different thing. It wasn't really like anything like this until 2006. Right. So the kind of 10 person ensemble, that was a, another iteration of the group. Yeah. It was 10 people. Well, not really. It was like, a, you know. <laughs> yeah. Actually, Glenda Goodman, who's one of my colleagues now, played in one of those early Pomplamous oh. years. Oh, wow. <laughs> right. yeah. wow. oh. Very funny. But Weston, you coming off the, uh, you know, as, as the newest member yeah. of the group and like, I guess as somebody who's played in, in other ensembles and had other practices, like, I just wondered what the, yeah. How was it when you, when you became a Pomplamous member? Was it, was it, did you feel like you were kind of marrying into a weird family that you had to learn the traditions and kind of oh yeah social awkwardness <laughs> yeah it, yeah it took years to learn the inside jokes and you have to learn i don't know <laughs> you have to learn how to hang <laughs> right i mean quite like quite, quite literally and, yeah yeah um and that, and that like m- much of the lingo and much of the kind of like even the headier parts of it like like 
either come out of or are like kind of represented in the, in that like kind of social space. So it's like, I don't know. Weston came in at a particularly, uh, particularly unique piece was the, uh, it was a collaborative piece on purpose. We were all writing one hour long presentation. And so he had to jump in. Uh, Is that the first one? Yeah, that was his first one. And that, that was a a strange project. Like three months after I left grad school. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... Interesting. Mm. Yeah, that was like real, colla- like 100% collaborative yeah. process, actually. Yeah. How did that work out? I loved it. I don't know why everybody didn't like it. I liked it a lot. What do you <laughs> I didn't mean? Like it. I thought it was great. It but was it- the only Pomplamoose concert that we that I, I ever remember, and, and that goes back pretty far. Where people walk, where there were some people that walked out angry, like in the middle of it. <laughs> oh, that's that's right. his idea of a very successful <laughs> in Chicago. <laughs> in Chicago, that's right. Oh yeah, I remember that. And that's not, I don't think. I mean, I I kind of loved that, but of course you did. I thought the concert. Yeah, I thought the collaborative thing was remarkably interesting, but I don't know if that was a shared feeling. I thought that piece was a little diluted in the terms of what yeah. what he was asking about yeah. uh, before. It, like we had all these ideas, and you throw them all together, and and nothing really hit. I felt like except for that la- the end of it, which had that weird flute kind of. It was like a stand up comedy routine, sort of. Yeah, actually, I kind of agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> we had. Uh, I I felt like I learned from that. Uh, yeah, just how hard it is, how much time it is, takes to make the kinds of pieces we've all been making with a lot of work on our own and the kinds of coordinations that we develop by doing a lot of work before we come to the group or ideas about how things can come together, ideas how how the pieces arranged. Um, it was hard to come to that level of structure with the piece. We found a lot of really amazing sounds and a really amazing uses of the of the ensemble, and that was super fun to have enough time to put it all together in the way that we're used to having pieces unfold and be self-referential and do all those things. Uh, that was a, I felt for me, that was the most challenging part of that process. And if we did it again, we'd have to think about how to do that a little bit more thoroughly. That would be my criticism of that piece. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. That's super interesting. Hi. It did I seem did like, it did but, feel like something we needed like a year, another year to work on, but we all would have been so done with that material after a year that it probably would never have worked out. I don't even think we ever documented that piece. We didn't. No, we didn't. <laughs> we just have like that UCSD recording, I think. In a way, I have a pipe dream to have that be like the way that this group works all the time. And I think maybe some of us do on some level, but the challenges are real. And the amount of time that we yeah. get together at this point in our lives uh, is real. You know, we live in different places. We have to come with like having done a lot of work to make a piece. And so part of the work has to be done privately. And it's hard to share brains when we're all over the place. So we haven't, I feel like we haven't quite cracked that nut out of do like long distance thing put together and make a collaborative piece that comes off the way we want it to. Especially when we involve the multimedia elements that we do, which yeah. is a kind of a big part of the group. And when those are very different, trying to marry all those is just another layer of complexity over marrying the kinds of uh, the the sounds that that are happening in the piece. I mean, how how does that? It's interesting to think about the idea that you you kind of you sit at home, you do a load of work individually, then like you you rock up at the rehearsal with a score, with a framework, with an instrument, with a but with, with something concrete, right? I mean, it's not it's not just like yeah, I want to develop something. You know, you have to have something 
to share with the group. But like, how do you, do you like back channel stuff between physical meetings? Are you like constantly sharing YouTube links or like sending mm -hmm. bits of score or just talking crap to each other? I mean, like, how does it work? Like how, how isolated is that, that solo working process before you meet as a group and refine the works or develop the works? I think it's always different kind of for different things. Maybe more like these days, it's kind of because even like this particular combination, like that, I mean, I've been with the group for like five years, like almost five, like over five years now that it's like, I can kind of think about like, and I'm just speaking from personal experience. Like I can not always have to like run by Andrew, like, Hey, can you do this thing on the drums? It's like, I, I know what Andrew can do on the drum or like, no, like, okay, who's more comfortable with movement or who's or like, who would be like, I don't know. Yeah. Like who's more game for certain things than other people. And rather than having to like ask every single and like clarify everything, you can kind of make some assumptions around the group. Like I usually get, I usually get stuck playing notes a lot. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's a thing of maybe sometimes it's like, Hey, this thing is in progress. Like, what do y'all think? But often other times it's, it's like very flexible. This one in particular, this project in particular is like, we have this and we started doing this with some things is having like a like prep period where we like rehearse and then have like weeks or in this case, like months in between the actual like performance or recording or tour or whatever. And then it kind of gives time to like bring much more unfinished materials or like just kind of like an intention or like a whatever clarifying idea and then time to then like process what the rehearsal period was like, make other changes, talk in that period and then kind of show up and start to do like things like that. But some of the things like ordering of pieces, like how do we get through a concert sometimes will happen even like sound check, sound check the day of, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. it's pretty flexible. Yeah. But we've like historically always shared a lot of stuff with each other. I think this year it's been mostly Andrew doing it um, for various reasons. But uh, um, tour is usually a time when we figure out or like when we find out what we've all been into musically in the recent times before that. Um, although Andrew logged into the Papamoose account once and went on a YouTube rabbit hole and I got to see that in the history, which was really, just <laughs> really, really fun for me. <laughs> Messing with the algorithms. Like, there was a lot of like queens. I forget what you were looking at now, but anyway, it was really good. <laughs> but I mean, it's kind of interesting, this idea that you, you create then a kind of a collective uh, and like a, a collective creative consciousness by sharing kind of your own YouTube rabbit holes within the group. So it's, it's not just you as a composer bring something to a rehearsal space yeah. that you then develop, but also the fact that you then create this kind of this ecosystem of ideas or of, of, of kind of creative inputs that then perhaps infect the others as you move forward and you create the, yeah, this, this kind of web. web we probably share a YouTube video or a track a week. Yeah. Maybe that's our average yeah. constant. And, you know, just whenever we think of something, for me, the first person I think to share anything new I find with are, are these people. And yeah. A lot of people feel like that, you know, if we weren't doing this music stuff, we'd still be finding time to get together and share thoughts about music if we weren't in a band together, I'm pretty sure. There's some there's some longevity at this point. <laughs> We've known each other a long time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean the other one of the other 
driving forces between kind of collective uh kind of ensembles with collective identities has also been a kind of social political one so like if you think about say braxton's social genome project it also has this kind of anti-hierarchical like it's almost an, a utopian model for an ideal democracy in terms of how it's how it's established and the relationships of the musicians and uh, to each other how do you like is there any kind of sense of a of an anti-hierarchical or a political agenda within the way that you you work or, or even where you establish pom pom i mean i think from that basic thing that we just inherited we've kind of taken those approaches the anti-hierarchical one as for some of us, probably for a lot of us, our reactions to having gone through academia and the way things are structured there, but also from traditions that we inherited um, from, yeah, like like people you mentioned, um, who some of those were our teachers, some of those people involved in those, and some of that is just from our musical background. Um, and that that's just, that's been the vibe in a certain amount of music making, and I think we've all appreciated that, that approach. And having been in different institutional, more classical, traditional music settings. And I think all of us have uh, complicated feelings about that, the, the traditional approach to classical music. But other people should chime in with that for sure. Well, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of things to the hierarchy conversation that we can talk about. One aspect of that is the composer-performer hierarchy. And I think that a reason that we don't do the thing where it's like the composer has the last say or like the ultimate say over the creation of a piece is because we all come from performer backgrounds um, and we, you know, like that method of creation is more, uh, it just feels a little bit more fluid, I think, for that reason. Um, I guess, Brian, you don't really have a performer background, so mm -hmm. that's a little different. Hardcore bands, though. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody told me what to do. <laughs> Whatever I wanted to do. <laughs> so, so in part, a reaction to to the kind of experience of being a performer and being told what to do. Um, and also then, in part, as you said, Brian, a kind of a, a, a kind of complex, complex emotions around the hierarchies of classical music as an institution. I think that's a big, a big deal for us and, and why we do what I do. And then our... Most of us have found a strong affinity to free jazz communities and the history therein, and, and our sound world has has been inspired by that so much. But then our, our music making practice has been inspired by that so much, and um, so we've uh, looked to that a lot. Also, I guess I feel like like we none of us really write overtly political. Uh, music, but uh, I feel like there's always some sort of like uh, uh, subversive kind of uh, something going on, uh, be it with using the different types of instruments or uh, I, 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 I don't know exactly what it is, but it feels political on some sort of like uh, subconscious level something yeah i guess the way we've talked about that in the past is like the um economic standpoint where we you know are well like in terms of the instrument thing like one of the reasons we kind of moved away from classical instruments for a while was because we wanted to try to use instruments that were inexpensive and you know easily um uh acquirable 
Um, I think that we all have like an idea of <laughs> living in a way that we are not required to make a ton of money. Um, I think that's, you know, I don't think that's really that different from like most musicians. I think most musicians would like to live in a way that doesn't require a lot of money so that we can make art and music. Um, I think that's actually a big part of it is that coming through f from like a, like very rigorous like performance education, like through a kind of conservative classical system is that this just feels like people making music together and not like some like chamber ensemble. Like it's not like trying to constantly like self-define itself in ways where it's like you play in a band with people and you just, you just, you play and you like make stuff together. And it's almost that it's not like more defined. It's actually maybe less defined. Um, like there's just less like, I don't know, self-importance <laughs> like that's in the middle of it. Or like I, I've seen, I saw that a lot like years and years ago of like, yeah, like always like, what does it mean if I do this versus do this versus like play this instrument now play this instrument. It's like a big like identity thing. And here's like, no, like, okay, I'll play drums on that. Like, I mean, we showed up and you were like, Hey, can you play flute on my piece? And I was like, yeah, sure. I'll learn how to play the flute. Like, I don't give a shit. But like things like that, where it's like, it's almost the, the casualness of it in a way. It's like, not like, Oh yes. It's like a shame, at least from my perspective, it's not like a chamber ensemble turned this turned like tech project it's just like no it's just you just do the do the thing mm -hmm. in a way and it's like eb what's up oscar <laughs> um i don't know that's I, I could be totally individual and, and wrong about that but it almost feels like there's 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 less like theorizing about what's going on which is ultimately like freeing at least for me personally i think it's context specific. So like if we're in a, you know, this is, we're being framed within the context of the conversation by being part of Darmstadt and, you know, for better or for worse, part of our name is ensemble, right. Yeah. Which, which has been pointed out to us by numerous people who I think are great and who I respect that maybe that's not the best thing and we're not trying to rebrand really? or anything. Yeah. I remember mm -hmm. having, I remember having a conversation with somebody at breakfast at Borealis once about it. Um, great composer, super duper smart who was bringing that up. Um, and you never told us. Yeah, because yeah. I was yeah. up earlier than the rest of you <laughs> because I was not drinking. But anyway, solving other I digress. I digress. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I digress. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like it's a political act. It's a political act, I guess, in some way because of the framing. Like, you know, we're we're a band. Like, if if to me we're. You know, we're like, you know, like the band, like the band band. Like nobody thinks about in the case of the band that like Robbie Robertson wrote all the songs until they started to dislike each other because, you know, he was making all the money. Right. So like part of it, you know, part of the kind of framing of it is like we just are a bunch of people who genuinely and I know that this is kind of like a little holier than thou. Like I think at this point and over the past few years, like. I don't think any of us really care that much um, about like after a concert, people thinking about individually the pieces or who wrote them or what we can gain from it. We literally are just thinking about it the same way, like, you know, any rock band or I don't know, hip hop group that goes on stage that's doing collective music would present ourselves, you know, and we're lucky in that we don't have a lead singer. So we don't have to worry about like that person garnering all the attention and then doing a solo act. You just got Dave. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I mean, I, I totally hear that. I mean, it's interesting that I was looking at your, your band camp um, and you have a new album out on band camp and it does 
identify the composer of each piece on the band camera. Yeah. So there is still a, or, you know, call it pilot or whatever, but there is still a, a need to identify a starting point for each work, despite yeah. what you've just said, Andrew. And even within that, we did actually disagree about that. Like, yeah. And so that's, and, that's and we, we, had, we had to have like a, a conversation about that. <laughs> yeah. And even within like, yeah, that was already, even that was not even like a unified statement yeah. by any. But, I, I don't think that's something we all agree on. Yeah, at a certain point, it comes down to how our, how the economic system works for us, and um, and our our relation to money in our lives has changed so much, and um, uh, what it means to be able to make art and live right now somehow is tied up in those questions, and that becomes some part of the negotiation, I think, along the way. Mm, yeah, I don't know if we want to include this in the interview or not, but I remember that being, that being yeah. like uh, that being like if we're like sometimes we have to be able to, to prove to people that we wrote pieces in order to get any money at all ever out of anything or ever get an opportunity to do anything. We say, yeah, that's the piece that I wrote on that album, so you can point someone to that, so you could potentially get someone to ask you to write a piece, or so that your job can you know your job would be like you're not doing anything yeah i did something but we just never said that i did that thing there so it's just not the way the system is totally set up for us to totally cut that off ah that's the probably part of the conversation that's part of the conversation we have oh absolutely and it's like i mean we regardless of like what we do within the pomplamus thing like we are still part of this community that has all these other ways of evaluating and like giving people career opportunities and like in academia, I'm trying to change that. Like for the review process, you know, like there's very specific things that you have to submit in order to be up for promotion. And that's like a constantly changing conversation in music because, um, you know, like at UCSD, you had to have a solo CD of your works, you know, you had to like, that was the thing that you had to submit for tenure was like, these are works that were recorded that I wrote all of these works and all of these different ensembles recorded these works. And this is my CD that, you know, like whatever. I can't think of a single record label right now, but put, put out, you know, <laughs> but I mean, that it's, it's a process of gatekeeping within the, within the classical music world, certainly as to like who can be considered excellent or who can be considered valid and what are the structures that uphold that kind of, that exclusion effectively. Yeah. I mean, and this is why you see the kind of the non-hierarchical models within, with kind of what would be considered revolutionary kind of ensembles in the past, right? That they are not, they're not the most institutional models. Yeah. But so I think that w the point is that we're trying to, you know, like, I feel like we are a non-hierarchical model, but simultaneously we are also like, each other's very important like artistic projects that um you know at different times in our lives different members have to consider the surrounding activities in order to make these decisions about whether our names will be listed on the band campsite or not and i think we all feel very like cool about what those decisions end up being it's the thing too if yeah we like this isn't also like we've like Andrew you brought up like a micro community or things like that but like we also all exist in a kind of broader musical community with other and like yeah it's it's not so it's not this kind of like pull away like rejection like okay we're only gonna like hang out with each other and only do things like 
we like honor that each person has like other side projects, other solo, like other things. And that that's also just an equal and normal thing that most other ways of music making, that's how they work. It's like, yeah, everyone's involved in everybody else's things. And that's just like totally cool. And so like, if that means like changing any kind of like utopic values or whatever, like, I don't know. Utopia is expensive, (laughs) (laughs) but it's, I don't know. It's just like, like we don't have like none of like, I don't know. And even within the group, it's varying degrees of like who has access to what, like different things and like time or. I think we just, yeah, we try to do what's best for everybody. Basically have some like honest conversations. Like I can do this. I can't do this. Like, this is what it'll take to do this. This is what we can't, I don't know. Comes down to like consent at a certain point too. Is it like, is everyone cool with this? Like, Totally. And not like assuming that people are down or not down or things like that. It's always like checking in to make sure people's feelings are taken care of. And if you had to invent those processes from a kind of extra musical perspective, I mean, are, are they things you learned at conservatoire? <laughs> or is consent something you've had to Hell no. devise? <laughs> well, I mean, it's really interesting because like, I think consent is something that like a lot of classical chamber ensembles yeah. have to deal with in the context of like a gigging chamber ensemble, you know, is often put in a place. Well, that's like something I've been thinking a lot about in terms of residencies. Like when ensembles go to universities to play residencies, they're not asked if it's cool if they play seven extremely difficult pieces that they have to learn in three days and record for 12 hours a day for four days. You know, that's just like assumed that they'll do that and they'll get paid $2,000 each to do it or something. There's no like consent. It's just like, you got this gig, you're lucky, like you're going to yeah, do exactly. it. That is a definite like lack of consent on the part of the classical community towards performers, I think. It, so in a, in a way, like David, you said, you, you're not writing political pieces, but in fact, the kind of, it feels like the, the existence of Pomplemousse is a transgressive act on some level within maybe, Andrew, as you said, framed within a classical context. Um, I mean, I, I, I did want to ask at what point are you just a band? I mean, if if you were a band, then all of your biographies would start with classically trained drummer well, Andrew, okay. right? I mean, it, it's the other way around. Now we're because we're talking within the classical context, we're yeah. talking about subversion of the of the kind of the mores of the classical industry. I think I think a lot of it is. I was thinking when you brought up really, really like aptly your observation about like with the a particularly in this country, like with the AACM and and you know different different arts organizations that propped up because of their exclusion from a certain space, that those same organizations also became identified as like incubators that different institutions, whether they be academia or, or, or arts organizations, whatever they might be targeted early on to then bring into the fold, but not, I wonder when they were brought into the fold, if, you know, if the ability for institutions to remain kind of grassroots um, rem- kind of stayed, I'm not being articulate about it, but like part of the political act of doing a collective is to diffuse, you know, not necessarily authorship, but individuality. And of course, to diffuse the purpose of making money, right? So like you're kind of, you're agreeing on a certain level to distribute money equally to collectively, like to make decisions that are collectively beneficial rather than for the self. And I think that like the, within a, within a classical music context, that is certainly like a political statement, but you know, in some ways that's like 
a model outside of the the music classical music organization or the classical music frame like that's a great model just i think to live by more generally right it's like you know i'm going to i'm going to be in kind of living in community with my neighbors i'm going to we're going to like share decision making we're going to sh- distribute authorship whatever that means right like um but at the same time like i also worry that part of and this is just me and and you know i'm not speaking for pomplamoose right now i'm totally speaking for andrew of like i'm worried that that in the classical music or new music world the kind of sudden or not sudden but the recent like excitement about collectivism that in the past when i think about past excitements about collectivism when they got sort of taken into the the decision making places where money and power lived I feel very subjectively that the power of those movements became slightly um I don't know kind of like I thought that they were less powerful and so I have in a tip in my typical kind of cynical way of thinking sometimes I fear sometimes speaking about the inner workings or like the the deeply personal ways that a community starts to build their own decision making processes because i feel like that in and of itself is a type of currency right like you're by saying how something that you in a very personal way have put together that quote unquote works um works so how it actually works you're offering to these um decision making or power structures another way of thinking that also can chip away at the thing that keeps the artistic communal process pure. And so I'm consistently thinking about that when, when having a conversation like this or seeing a lot of people who I know and respect talk about that type of practice. Um, because I worry that it's possible that that repetition of the, of the kind of like neutralizing of its effectiveness happens by giving it away to institutions that are, not built, I mean, that are gatekeepers. They're meant to make singular forces more powerful in some ways. Mm-hmm. So there's my, like, you know, political political statement for Andrew. Not for, not for populists. So, the, yeah, the diminishing of the, the DIY, I mean, it's DIY or die, you're saying, Andrew, effectively. Uh, or the, the, the sharing of those ideas or that spirit somehow diminishes the effectiveness of its of its message. I think it can. I mean, I'm not, yeah. I haven't, you know, this is again, just for me, it's not a pomplamous statement, but yeah. <laughs> I, I do think like the words transgressive and DIY are very loaded. Um, and I, I, I prefer to think of us as a group that likes to make music and would like to, um, create a lifestyle that makes it possible for us to make music, um, rather than use words like transgressive. Yeah. Um, or DIY, because um, they just have like very specific con- um, definitions right now. I think a group that likes to make music and a lifestyle that makes that possible feels like a very good definition yeah. of powerful moves, and maybe a very good place to end. Um, I just one last question was um, the works that you make, you pilot, you collaboratively generate. Could they be played by anyone else? Yeah, they have been. Some of them. Many of them. Yeah. 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 And how does that feel? I mean, 
does it still sound like pamplemousse or is, do they take on another life? No, they're different. Yeah. Very different. <laughs> Everyone's shaking their heads. Yeah. Yeah, they're totally different. They're just cool. They're totally different. Yeah. I think usually when that's happened for me, it is almost, it's rearranged quite a bit. And it becomes like something that was a lot like the piece that we did together, but it became something new. And hopefully it's for, it's a reaction to the new ensemble I'm working with and try to, I, I will never have that, uh, the time with that ensemble to work the way I do with Pomplamoose or the connection, the, the years of connection, usually with new groups I'm working with. But I can approach it in a way that's kind of like, cool, we did it this way with Pomplamoose, but you're kind of a different group. Maybe you're even slightly different instruments. That's that's kind of great. And then it's that piece, but it's still, it's reimagined a bit. I think all the pieces I've done with Pomplamoose that anyone else tried, it was reimagined. Yeah. So somebody somebody else's YouTube wormhole. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Has a new effect on where how the pieces exist. I mean, I'm always really surprised at how different it is, actually. Like, my my explicitly notated pieces that have been played again with by not Pomplamoose, I'm like, huh. Okay. <laughs> it's really different. Like, very surprising, but yeah. Really great, but all those experiences are important for us, too, to, for everyone to go out and do these things with other people and then come back and that. That's what helps us also to keep doing new things. Yeah. It was a never ending feedback loop of yeah. kind of creation and joy and. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The outside is important. Cocktails. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't sound so bad. That's <laughs> what we're going to do tonight. <laughs> Dave, Natasha, Brian, Weston, and Andrew, and Caden, and Oscar the Cat. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks, Peter. Thanks, Peter.